Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 227 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero. And today we're going to talk about Billy Joe Saunders talking himself out of another big fight. What else is new? Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Is that going to be the site of the third fight between Fury and Wilder? Looks like it. Looks like it. And then some other news from around the boxing world, including Deontay Wilder. He is alive. I can confirm Deontay Wilder is alive. But according to his brother, Marcellus, he had an autopsy. That's a first. So Deontay Wilder really, really uh, becoming the first human in the history of all of humanity to have an autopsy while living. This is breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to have a great guest on the show later. Let me get my levels here in my headphones balanced a little bit okay um we got a great 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 guest coming on we got uh scott graveson from asianboxing.info uh he's based in london but him and i think uh he has a business partner it's two guys that run that site and they've been running it since 2013 i believe they keep up with the asian boxing scene better than anybody great follow on twitter asian boxing follow those guys on twitter and, uh, you know, if you want to keep up with the scene over in that world, because there's a lot of great cards over there, especially in Japan, you can't always find them here in the Western world, right, here in the United States or even over in the U.K. So one of the things we're going to talk to Scott about is how you guys can see more of those cards. He's going to shed some light on that. So, uh, okay, all kinds of stuff here. Uh, wow, super chat already from my man, Chris Bergen. Thank you so much. He says, hope you had a great fourth july my american bros thank you so much chris i appreciate that my man and uh glad that you're here watching the show live as i mentioned last week guys i have some big news about the show and uh we'll be talking about that very soon okay some changes coming to the show uh this month in july but uh let's see before i get into some news and notes uh patreon support Adrian Cam 96 thank you very much for joining the team on Patreon and supporting Montero on Boxing. And then my friend Florian Segrist edited his pledge. He upped his pledge uh, over there from Sweden. Thank you so much, both of you guys, and to everybody who, who contributes to Montero on Boxing over there on Patreon. Of course, all of you who contribute here on YouTube on Super Chat. And uh, some sad news, but I want to give a shout-out. I want to make sure I do this uh, for a, a friend of the show, Eddie Alvarado. Uh, watches the show, listens to the show often. Eddie lost his mother last week, Mary Alvarado from Laredo, Texas. He asked me just to give her a shout out on the show, you know, in memory of his wonderful mother. Eddie, I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. And, um, you know, look, we're all thinking about you, man. And uh, anything I can do, guys, whenever you're going through something like that, all you got to do is ask. And sometimes it's just as simple as uh, just mentioning a family member's name, a friend's name, something like that on the show. If I can do that to help you guys get through a difficult time, just let me know, and it's done, okay? You guys are my boxing family. I love all you guys. So, Eddie, we're thinking about you, man. All right, let's talk about some some good stuff here. Um, oh, you know what? what? One fun little troll item. I did a, a, a Twitter poll yesterday just talking about the shittiest human beings in regards to female characters in movies. And I'm kind of surprised at the results. So my three choices were Jenny from Forrest Gump. Jenny. How many syllables? Jenny is two syllables, right? The way Forrest said it, it had 14 syllables. Jenny. So she's winning in the poll right now. But it's Jenny from Forrest Gump. 
Ginger from Casino, and Amy from Gone Girl. Now, I thought for sure Gone Girl was going to get like 80% of the vote because that bitch was crazy. But some of you guys have kind of given your own you know, reasoning for the way you're voting here, and I get it, okay? So you guys, man, you got you are some insightful people that follow me because, okay, Amy, Gone Girl, crazy, lunatic, okay? But, but... Ben Affleck's character, I can't remember what the hell his name was. He did cheat on her. Now, and I'm not justifying what Amy did because that shit was messed up. She could have just walked away, okay? She took it way too far, but dude did fuck up. He did cheat. So, you guys, you know, reminded me of that. Some of you guys react, responding to the poll, okay? Now, Ginger, terrible human being. She tied her kid to a bed, okay? She was a junkie. Terrible person. Not only was she sleeping with Ace Rothstein's best friend, but it just so happened to be the mob boss of Las Vegas. So she put tons of people's lives in jeopardy, but tying the kid to the bed, pretty awful. However, there's a few of you guys have talked about this too. She was a drug addict. So, you know, there's some mental illness there. Maybe she, she wasn't in the right mind frame, all that. And she told Ace before she got with him, look, I don't love you like that. So she was honest up front. She said, I'm a mess. Okay, I get it, guys. Very good insight. Jed Nye basically fucked everyone on planet Earth, got AIDS, then hit Forrest once, ran away, only to come back in his life after she had a kid to dump the kid off on him. And he's a handicapped guy. So she took advantage. Yeah, I'm with you guys. You know what? You've convinced me. Jedi is the worst human being, the shittiest human being in the history of cinema, at least for females. There's plenty of asshole men in cinema. Okay, enough of that. I just thought, you know, that was one of my scientific polls there. Let's talk about some news here before our guest jumps on. Let's see. Uh, for those of you who are just getting on the show, he should be on like 10, 15 minutes. Um David Flitter says, you sound like a hick, Mike. Well, that's the whole point. I was talking like Forrest Gump. Wasn't he supposed to, you know, have that accent? Yeah. Come on. Give me some credit. Jedi, that's how he said it. Uh, okay, our guest is going to be out of 10 minutes. For those of you just getting on the show, it's Scott Graveson of Asian Boxing. I'm excited to talk to him. He can give us some real good insight on the scene over there. I think it's going to be a, a great interview. It's going to be fun. But I want to talk about Marcellus Wilder. Let's jump into that. Okay, so, you know, you guys are all boxing degenerates like me. I know you've already seen this, but I think it's, it bears repeating. Uh, Marcellus Wilder, I think he posted this on Instagram. Instagram. I'm just going to read this word for word, okay? <laughs> I'll try not to laugh. All right, he just says, you know it's crazy when you great. They got to do everything that's underneath real to figure out how to stop you. That wicked shit about is people on your own team will do anything for the hate. Money will help them ops take you down. It was discovered by doctors that my brother has a dent in the side of his head. I'm sorry, guys. This is due to a blunt object struck against his head from his last fight. No glove or fist was able to cause the damage, according to the autopsy. This is real. Okay, when I first saw this shit, I thought it was people trolling on Twitter. I'm trying not to laugh. Just uh, try to read that shit, you know, grammar correct. Try to read that. Oh, God, it's difficult. But just to correct, just to clear the air, okay, I want to make sure because this is 2020. 
And now we have to preface everything, right? Because everyone gets offended and everyone freaks out if they see anything on Twitter. Just a reminder, guys, Twitter, Instagram, all that shit, it's not real life, okay? Just a reminder. But uh, you can't get an autopsy if you're alive, okay? I just want to make sure you guys know. I'm pretty sure you guys already know that, but autopsies are for dead people. So Deontay Wilder has not had an autopsy, which lets you know right there that Marcellus... I don't know what he was drinking. I don't know what was going on. Uh, I don't know what other word he could have mistaken autopsy for, but Deontay did not have an autopsy. I can confirm that. Okay. I don't even have to give sources. I don't have to. I can confirm right here. You're hearing it right here. Breaking news. Okay. I'm confirming it. Deontay Wilder has never had an autopsy. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, never had an autopsy, but the dent in the side of his head. What the hell does that even mean? You know, I mean, if you if you take your fingers and rub the top of your head, you'll you'll feel little bumps and grooves and shit. There's stuff happening, but a dent in the side of your head. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. So there's some picture the LDBC guys are floating around now that makes it look like there's a hole in the side of Deontay Wilder's head. He's sitting in the corner, right, uh, in his corner between rounds, and it's like his forehead. And it's so clearly just a shadow. There's a really shiny spot right above a shadow. Now, most people, you know, you got your cheekbone here. For for those of you listening on the audio, I'm sorry you can't see me here. But your cheekbone on the side sticks out a little bit. There's a little indent where your temple is. Then your head pops back out. Now, if you got a shaved head or you got really short hair, it can kind of look a little concave where your temple is. And in the right light, with the right part shining and the right part shadowy, it can kind of look like there's an indention there. But there ain't a goddamn dent in Deontay Wilder's head. And I just, what are people smoking, man? I, I get it. 2020 has been, it's been a lot. Okay, it's been a rough year. And we're only halfway through this shit. We still got a presidential election coming up. Just to remind you guys. So this shit's only going to get worse. Okay. The political spin and the pandering and the groveling and all this bullshit. It's only going to get worse. But I get it. It's been heavy. It's been a tough year. But for some reason, four months later, some people are still holding on to this fight between Fury and Wilder. Like it was the most important event in the history of humanity. Right. This like Forget 9-11. Right. Forget that. Forget a global pandemic. Forget that. It's about Deontay Wilder not being able to defeat Tyson Fury. Some people are just so beyond. It's like a religion to them. Honestly, it's like a religion to them. And Deontay Wilder is the embodiment, the symbol of their religion. And they cannot get over it. It's one thing to make excuses. Look, what's crazy What's crazy is, honestly, Deontay Wilder's actual excuses from him, the heavy suit and all that kind of shit. Remember how crazy that shit sounded the week after the fight? I remember doing like four or five radio interviews that week, and everyone wanted to talk to me about that. Even guys that do like very, very mainstream sports kind of shows that rarely talk about boxing. They wanted to have me on to talk about that because it was such a crazy excuse. But now that shit seems kind of legitimate compared to these excuses. All the excuses we gotten from Wilder's fans and family members since 
are so fucking crazy that it makes the suit excuse sound reasonable. I didn't think I would say that shit. If you told me four months ago that the heavy suit excuse would sound kind of, you know, kind of tame, kind of lame and kind of just mundane and everything, I would have laughed at you. But that's where we're at. Like the heavy suit excuse right now sounds like, oh, yeah, okay, that that sounds legit. Like That's honestly how far this shit's gone. All right, let me go back to the chat here on YouTube. We got a couple super chat pledges from Mark. Thank you so much. Unrivaled Boxing Talker News, ladies and gentlemen. Awesome channel. Does awesome content. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. He says, uh, thoughts on Ryan going the WBO route. And then he has, uh, maybe it was a biopsy from the mammogram (laughs) as it relates to Deontay Wilder. I'm not touching that second one. I'm not touching that second one. With uh, Ryan, I assume you're going, uh, you're talking about Ryan Garcia. Look, man, I don't know what to make of Ryan Garcia right now because this guy has found a way to talk himself out of so many fights, so many opportunities. And it reminds me of, Guys like Demetrius Andrade, who who has accomplished more than Ryan Garcia already. Billy Joe Saunders, Demetrius Andrade, Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia. It, it goes across the board. It's not just American fighters. or It's UK fighters. It's prospects. It's guys with titles. It's across the board, dude. These guys talk themselves out of more opportunities than they're willing to accept. There's nothing wrong with being safe and making smart decisions. In fact, that's good. You need to have a good team around you to make good decisions. Someone like Gabriel Flores, I think he has the right team around him, giving him the right advice. So they're making the right calculations as they proceed. That's a solid team advising a kid that's really going to be something. I, I think they're building him the right way. But with some of these other guys, man, like Billy Joe Saunders with MTK Global, I think he's getting some shitty advice over there. Ryan Garcia with with his advisor, uh, Lupe, I can't think of his last name right now. He's getting some shitty advice. Several of these guys. Devin Haney with his email title. What the hell's going on with the WBC? There's like four different belts in the same division. They're making the WBA look reasonable. This is insane, man. This is just insane. But um, so – uh, going the WBO route, who's the WBO guy at 135? Let me look at this. Let me look at this. So Ryan Garcia is supposed to fight Luke Campbell, right? That is the mandate from the WBC for one of the 4,000 titles they have at 135 pounds right now. And I don't feel confident that fight's going to happen. I'm not alone in that opinion. I saw that uh, Steve Kim, my man over at ESPN, he tweeted about that today as well. Uh, or maybe it was yesterday or something where he said, I don't think that fight's happening between Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell. I like that fight. I think that that would be a very, very solid step up for Ryan Garcia, but I just don't see it happening. And, you know, look, some people think Luke Campbell's overrated. I guess it depends where you rate Luke Campbell. Myself, I think there's a lot of people out there who underrate Luke Campbell. I think he's a quality top five lightweight right now the dude won a gold medal he's faced some of the best opposition he's come up short against the best opposition but there's no shame in that he's at least clearly a top 10 lightweight if not top five right now and guess what he's more proven than all the young prospects right now except for Tiafimo Lopez and Javante Davis but he's and I get it. Javante Davis hasn't fought killers, but he's fought a couple of good guys like Pedraza. Okay, so give him that much credit. 
But compared to Haney and compared to Garcia, Luke Campbell is far more accomplished and far more proven, even in his losses. So clearly, yeah, I see a bunch of you guys in the chat saying top five. I agree. He's a top five lightweight. Absolutely. So if why not? If you're Ryan Garcia, <clears throat> you're comfortable, you're confident, I mean, and your team's confident, and the only question so far about Ryan Garcia is how does he catch? We don't know if he takes a really, really good shot. Well, Luke Campbell's tall, rangy, uh, experienced. You know what I'm saying? He knows how to survive. He's definitely going to go rounds. He's proven that he's got a good chin. Yeah, he's been dropped, but every time he's been dropped, he's got up and made the fight competitive right? Every time he's been dropped, he gets up and not only responds, but looks better after being dropped. So to me, he's perfect matchmaking. The WBC was trying to hook Ryan Garcia up. If you read between the lines here, no surprise that the BC would do that for him, but he's perfect matchmaking because Campbell doesn't hit hard. He doesn't hit hard. He's not very fast. Ryan Garcia has better hand speed. He's probably every bit as long lengthwise, reach wise, as Campbell, and he hits harder. So it'd be perfect matchmaking in terms of getting him a name that's been in there with everybody, just about everybody. And on paper, now a lot of you out there are saying, I'm looking in the chat, a lot of you guys out there are favoring Campbell. I would favor Ryan Garcia to eke out a really close decision, particularly if that fight was in Los Angeles or Las Vegas. Now in the UK or somewhere on neutral territory, different story. Okay, but business of boxing, the way it goes, I, I think Garcia could score a flash knockdown. It's possible. I, I'm not saying I would I would say that's definitely going to happen, but it's possible. And I think that he could have a, a you know, learning on the job type of performance and win, uh, you know, really, really close on the cards because of a late round resurgence a, a push. Uh, so I, I think he'd win that fight by close decision. And it'd be perfect for him to build up his brand with diehard fight fans, also with the UK audience. And his, his guy, Lupe, uh, one of you guys in the chat said it. I, I always forget his name, the advisor's name. Let's go back here. Lupe Valencia. That's right. Marcos Levy in the chat. Thank you so much. Lupe Valencia. I, I just think that he's giving this kid the wrong advice, man. Definitely not giving him the right advice because that is the perfect freaking fight for him. He could go right in there and do something that matters and start to really build that brand. So let's see. Gail Falkenthal says, I am Team Garcia. He'll be pushed, but Linares beat Campbell, and Linares was considered a good step up for Garcia originally. I agree. But then, you know, what's up with Linares? Why doesn't Garcia seem to want that fight anymore? What's going on, Gail? Let me know what you think about that. Um, Okay, let's see. I think we have our guest on the line. Let me make sure. Yes, we do. Okay, guys, uh, this is uh, Scott Graveson of Asian Boxing, and um, he has run that site since 2013. And he's going to give us a little bit of lowdown on the scene over there in the Far East. Scott, welcome to the show. Can you hear me, my friend? Yes, I can hear you fine, Michael. Thank you. All right, you know what? Let me turn up your volume real quick. Uh Okay. So, uh, can you hear me clear? We're good to go? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. It's no problem. All right, great. Uh, hopefully you guys in the chat can hear. Uh, let me know if the levels are good uh, on the chat. And uh, so, Scott, uh, if you could, man, just talk a little bit about your site, asianboxing.info. 
Uh, what prompted you to start that site and to, to get into, you know, really, really promoting the Asian scene? Because it's something that really doesn't get talked about a lot in the Western world. I think you said you've been doing it since 2013. How did you get started in that and what, what prompted you to do it? It was actually what you just mentioned that nobody else was covering it. There was like no coverage outside of that Joe Kazumi's odd article. Um, and there's this big world out there. All the fights in Japan, China, Thailand, Indonesia just weren't really getting the coverage. So that was a big problem. There. Where do you get this information from? And with no one else covering it, it's uh, a case of me doing it or nobody doing it at the time. I think, yeah, you do a great job because you cover the little stuff. I mean, you know, I, I say little with air quotes because, uh, you know, these aren't always little shows. These are big shows over there, but they get little coverage over here. And I hear your accent. You're clearly not from Asia. So <laughs> so uh, what got you into the Asian boxing scene? Is it just uh, a particular style of fighting, a particular promoter, a fighter that got you involved? What happened there? It's the mentality and the fast, uh, the fast tracking, the prospects. I really thought it was exciting. I thought it was something we didn't see in the West. All too often in the UK, um, the US, even Mexico, we see prospects really baby and model cuddle. But over in Japan, you get guys like Ayoka, Tanaka, Tatsuyoshi, uh, Jungil Byun, all being race to That was really exciting to follow. That's a great point. Yeah, you know, um, I really hadn't thought about it that way before, but you're right. A lot of the fighters... Uh, the Japanese fighters, a lot of the little guys, you know, they do fast track them. We see guys win titles very, very soon. My only question would be, or my only beef would be, I don't see a lot of the fighters from that part of the world unifying. Now, do you think that's due to their promotional, their promotional outfits not wanting to work with other groups? Or is it the Western promoters not wanting to work with the promoters over there, like the Tekkens and, and those guys over in Japan? I don't think it's either. I think it might be the financials because we see Tekken working with Top Rank and with Golden Boy quite regularly. Mm -hmm. You see um, cup promotions all the time between the two sides. But what we don't see is perhaps the financials making it worthwhile to have a unification belt. Both sides have got to put money in. And is it really worth paying a champion's fee for both fighters at that level? Yeah, because a lot of them are little guys. I mean, you're talking 105, 108, 112. And I know that there have been some American promoters who have put money in those lower weights. I mean, Tom Loeffler had his great super flyweight series, right? So we, we see promoters over here starting to take a little more interest in, in fight fans in particular taking more interest. But I don't see a lot of the Japanese fighters being willing to travel over here to the United States and fight over here. Why do you think that is? Is it just financials? Is it a cultural thing? Is, is it fear of not doing well on the scorecards? And what do you hear? Because you're really plugged into that scene. I think a lot of it is actually the financials, but there has been talks of Japanese fighters traveling. Of Hasegawa, course. Uchiyama, Yamanaka, all spoke about going over there, and for whatever reason, one guy or the other lost. Um, Uchiyama versus Mikey Garcia was in the talks at one point. Yamanaka was in talks repeatedly to go to Las Vegas, and the, the guy he was going to fight lost, or he lost. I think it's the financials. You've also got to build a big enough profile to be worthwhile traveling. While it's in Japan, a guy like a guy like Ayaka can get nine or ten million viewers in Japan alone. Well, he goes over to the U.S. and gets a million. Is it really worth it from a profile perspective? 
That's another great point. That's a really that's another great point because um, I think of a guy like Murata at 160 pounds. I mean, here in the United States, he's an afterthought, but over there, he's a star. I mean, he might not be like as big of a star as some of the other athletes in Japan, but he does big numbers, or at least he has in some of his fights, and he's a middleweight. Uh, there, there's a lot of guys over there, as you mentioned, they could do 10 million or more. I mean, um, when Zhou Ximing fought, he did insane numbers in China, you know? So I, that is a great point that where I think the financials don't make sense, but also maybe the ratings just don't make sense for some of these guys to come over here. Uh, the fight last year between Inoue and Donaire, a lot of American fans were pissed off that it was happening in Japan the day that it happened, the time that it happened. But if you understand the scene over there and the culture over there, because I think it was a Thursday, there's a lot of cards during that time, right? For, and it, it kind of lended itself to the uh, business culture over there. And it did big numbers over there. It did extremely big numbers. It was over 10 million fans just in the Tokyo region. Um, you don't see those sort of numbers in the U.S. for a, for a weekend fight, never mind a midweek fight. Uh, it also sold out the arena, 20,000 mm -hmm. fans in the arena. They were the main event. Would they have been the main event had it been in the US or the UK? Um, we saw a new fight in Glasgow, and even there he was, I admit Josh Taylor was a headline there, but he was demoted under somebody else. So, <clears throat> yeah, there's certainly a case of higher profile, better viewing, more attention on them, I guess, as well. Yeah, I'm getting a question here in the chat from Mark over at Unrivaled Boxing Talk. Uh, thanks for the super chat again, Mark. He's asking if he could call in to ask some questions. Are you cool taking some calls from the listeners, Scott? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Mark, call in, man, because I know you'll have some great questions. Uh, so, Because Mark, he pays attention to the little guys. So, Mark, if, if you're out there, go ahead and call in. Any of you guys, if you want to talk to Scott about this stuff. Um, I think that's another thing, too, culturally – Speaking as an American, I can tell you a lot of American sports fans are into big athletes, right? That's the, the NFL. Everyone's huge. The NBA, everyone's huge. And part of me thinks that because a lot of these guys are little guys, that a lot of American fight fans uh, don't want to see or, or just don't care as much about watching them. Uh, how do we change those attitudes, Scott? You know, because you talked about the mentality of these guys, the heart. I can tell you any time a Japanese fighter comes over here, it's all heart. I mean, these guys come over here and fight just with an amazing, amazing tenacity. How do we get more fans to be interested in that scene over there? I think, to be honest, ESPN, DAZN, uh, whoever needs to actually give them profile. Um, show cards in Japan. I know DAZN do show some fights from Thailand. They have a deal with WorkPoint. There's no reason why the Tyson cards in Japan can't be aired on ESPN as part of their deal. Um, every every first Saturday of the month, usually, there's a Japanese live TV card. Uh, yeah, they could really help themselves by promoting these guys on foreign soil, letting them build up a small cult following, and then putting them in the bigger fights. It just... It seems to make logical sense for the U.S. promoters who are going to work with them anyway eventually to promote them um, on their profile. On their, yeah. At the end of the day, what spot is being shown on ESPN at whatever time it is when Japanese cards are on? It's like 3 o'clock in the morning your time, I guess. Yeah, what the, the is timing is, is tough. But 
you know, I think you, you again, you bring up a good point, though, because with the streaming services specifically, ESPN Plus, The Zone, you might not be able to catch a card live. But I think you were telling me that uh, there's a tie. I know there's a tie card on July 11th. And then I think there's a card coming up mm -hmm. in Japan this month, right? What's the date? There's a few cards in Japan. Um, coming up in July. There's one. Yeah, there's one on the 11th, and there's uh, Noyenu's cousin on the 16th, and one on the 22nd. Okay. There's actually quite a few. They're just not on BoxRec yet. Yeah, it's, okay, so, well, there you go, everyone, breaking news, because <laughs> it's not on BoxRec yet, but you heard it here. So you got three different cards coming up in, in, in July, including Inouye's cousin, and those would be very, very cheap to pick up for ESPN+. Plus. I know ESPN+, Plus picked up a fight or a card in Kazakhstan on the 18th, so they're investing in, in those markets. It wouldn't be that much to pick up one of these Japanese cards. And again, even if a fight fan here can't see it live, they can watch the replay later on and start to see some of these little guys. Because, I mean, Scott, honestly, anyone who saw Inouye Donaire, were they disappointed? I don't care what damn time it was. That was an amazing fight. Yeah, that's a fantastic fight. England back a little bit further. Shokimura versus Kosai Tanaka. There was a free scene for that, and that was as well. The fight of the year that year as well. You know, I'm going to jump here to the um, phones. Yeah, I think um, Mark is calling in. Uh, Mark, are you on the line? Yeah, it's me. Hey, 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 hey what's up? Are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, I don't know if this is like official because I haven't seen anything, but I've heard rumors that Junto Nakatani's fighting August 21st for the vacant WBO. Yes, against Game on McGrath. That's actually going to be televised on Japanese channel G+, um, which is available through a service called Aisakura, if you uh, really want to watch it live. Can you yeah, spell yeah, that? I know. Can you spell that, Scott? Aisakura. Um, I-S-A-K-U-R-A. It's a subscription search for lots of Japanese TV channels. So could somebody like in the USA or the UK, could they subscribe to that and it'd be like a streaming platform for them? Yeah, the only place you can't actually subscribe to that is Japan. It's made for expats. Okay, so anywhere outside of Japan, Isakura, you could pick that up and you could stream some of these Japanese fights. And as you mentioned, Scott, they, they have cards all the time. A lot of times, multiple cards a month, correct? They have at least one live televised card a month, okay. uh, usually two to three delay cards, and then loads of archive footage shown throughout the month. There you go. Mark, what else you got? I know you got more than that, Mark. Um, I, I just want – yeah, 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 I know. I want to just talk on his opponent, um, Guillermo Magramo, because, like, last time I actually watched them was against Basim, and he lost quite comfortably in that fight. In my opinion, anyway, uh, I, I wanted your thoughts. Do you think Jonto is going to easily get through this fight, or if it's going to be a difficult fight for him? I think it's going to be quite difficult. Magrano has learned a lot from that Wasim fight. He recently went over to China and beat Wenfeng Gang. A really impressive performance. He perhaps isn't as natural as Nakatani, but he's heavy-handed. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Nakatani is going to have to work hard for the win. Awesome. Awesome. And um, is there... Is there any possibility that we'll ever get a unification between two fight, toy fighters? Because, like, at minimum weight, we've got CP Freshmark and we've got um, Wan Hang Many Open. 
I was just going to ask about I, that. I don't think we've ever seen. I, I don't think we've ever seen two tie fighters actually unify for a belt. Is there a specific reason for that? Uh, usually, it's actually because they have the same money men. It makes more sense from the pipe perspective to keep them apart and have two champions running shows. With one thing and knockout, they're both essentially sponsored by the CP company, which is CP Fresh Mart. And mm-hmm. it makes more sense for them to have two champions getting two sets of purses, two TV revenues, two streams of advertising revenue, than it does have them unify for essentially pittance. Okay, awesome. Scott. And this is my last question. Uh, do we have anything on Kenshiro Tarajiri? Like, Ken is, is there anything coming through with Kenshiro, or is he just passing through, like, fighting against nobody? Because it's getting disappointing at this stage, for me, first. To be fair, Alvarado did get quite sick when they were meant to fight last year. Um, at the moment, Kenshiro's kind of like everyone else in Japan, just waiting to see when doors are going to open for fan venues and big venues. He was hoping to fight three times this year and try and match Yoko Gashikin's Japanese record next year, but due to the uh, ongoing global issues, there's kind of whole plans been put on hiatus with him. Okay, so him and Hiroto Kaguchi isn't going to happen this year. Probably not. Probably not next year either, sadly. Okay, thank you. Have a good one, guys. Take care. Bye, Mark. Great stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask about that unification at 105 as well uh, with, um, well, he's got 800 different names, but Wan Hang and Knockout Freshmart. You know, is are, do you have a finger on the pulse with, with the fan presence over there, Scott? And, like, is there any push from, let's say, Thai fight fans to see a unification? Is there any push over there to say, hey, let's see these two guys fight each other so we can know who's the best Thai fighter in this division? Or do they not care? I've not seen a great deal of push for it. There may well be, but I've not seen any. Um, again, they're, looking, they're kind of happy to have two world champions. It's very similar to, I guess, the Myung-Woo Yu, Jung-Koo Chang situation in Korea, where they're on different channels, but there's no real desire for either fighter to push, up, to push for the fight either. And both of them do well enough financially and do good enough ratings where from a business perspective, it's it's justified, right? There's just no push, no financial incentive to do it, at least not yet. Well, the financial perspective comes from the sponsor, and the sponsor doesn't want to fight, so it's compared. It's probably okay. as easy as that when it comes to time. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I just, I know, like, here in the United States, you know, I do think, and in the UK as well, other parts of the world, if there were two fighters in a division, uh, fans would want to see that unification and they'd be bitching about it on Twitter. They'd be talking about it on social media. And, you know, I don't speak Thai, I don't speak Japanese, so I don't follow the Twitters over there. And I'm just curious, you know, if, if people are talking about that and demanding it, I, I just wonder, because um, cause maybe if there was enough of a push and it could kind of be, let's say, a Thai super fight or a South Korea super fight, whatever it is, if then it could happen. Has there been anything like that in recent memory that you can think of, an example like that? Uh, in Japan, there was Akira Yagashi versus Kazutoyoka is mm-hmm. the big example. Yeah, okay. So it can happen. It just, there has to be, because uh, that was a situation where, it, was it rival networks, rival sponsors coming together, working together? Yeah, that was just the fighters. Um, incidentally, the two guys who 
promoted the guys. So Ayaka was promoted by his uncle. Okay. And Yaigashi was promoted by Heidi Yuki Ohashi and Ayaka. And Ohashi were sort of rivals when they were amateur and when they were pros in like the 1990s. So there's that longer term rivalry between the two camps as well. So there was enough of a storyline there, enough of a built up rivalry where it made sense. Okay. You know, we have another question. Uh, Super chat again from Mark. Thank you so much. He says, uh, oh, I forgot to add, with Junto fighting for the 112 vacant WBO title, does that confirm Tanaka versus Ioka or a possible tune-up? It seems very likely we'll see Tanaka versus Ioka. There is talk about potentially being in either September or December. Um, Ioka is just set up a new gym called the Ambition Gym which had Daiga Higa sign up to it as well. Cool. And they're talking about fighting as early as September on that um, Yeah, so early as September on um, TBS. Uh, Ayaka and Tanaka actually work for the same TV channel, so that shouldn't be a hard bout to get done. That's a good fight. That's a real good fight. Um, what's, the, what's the scene like over in Japan, uh, you know, specifically Tokyo, but uh, with covid and having fans like are you plugged into that at all do you know um as far as you know september december whenever that fight happens if they can have fans there or what's going on with that there will be there'll actually be fans in japanese shows earlier earlier later this month they're planning the first show with fans as early as the 19th of july or it's just wow. insane when we look at around the rest of the places the now, is that are they going to have, like, social distancing measures, wear a mask, or is it just regular fans, however many want to come? Nothing. As far as I'm aware, it's 50% of the venue okay. with masks, social distancing, and temperature checks. Um, and that'll be... Oh, God, where is it? It's at the IA Hall in Korea. Um, okay. And then there's Marshalls, as again, with a similar sort of thing. The first one in Tokyo, I believe, will be in August. So, um, yeah, the first one in Tokyo will be in August. The first one outside of Tokyo will be in Okinawa and Aichi Prefecture, um, where, again, they're using 50% of the venue with social distancing, masks, temperature checks. Um, so they're so being... They're certainly going to be allowed in the venue. They're being responsible about it, but they're letting fans go back to the shows. Yeah. Cool. All right. I want to ask you about one other thing. Um, you know, when people think Asian boxing, they think of the Far East. They think of Japan, South Korea, uh, Thailand, you know, China. But Central Asia, you're talking Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. I mean, technically, you know, those, it's not what you'd think when, when people, especially here in America, think of Asia. But those are Central Asian countries, right? And we're seeing we, we had a bunch of fighters uh, coming out of Kazakhstan in the last amateur cycle. Then we started seeing the Uzbeks coming. And right now you see a lot of Uzbekistan fighters here in the USA. They're coming over here. They're living here. They're training here. There, there's a bunch of them in the greater Los Angeles area. There's a bunch of them in New York. Uh, wh what is the difference, would you say, Scott, wh where it seems fighters from those countries – are more willing to relocate and train and fight over in the West versus fighters, let's say, in Japan, in South Korea? Is it just an economics thing? Because 
the fighters in South Korea and in Japan, they have a built-in market. They have Tokyo. They have Seoul. And the guys in Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, they just don't have those markets. Is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly um, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan don't have very good professional boxing infrastructure. They don't have the great training. Right. They don't have a great deal of money men. A lot of MTK are starting to put money into Kazakhstan. Um, but yeah, very much. Also, the weight classes as well. There isn't the money in Asia for the super middleweights, the middleweights. Uh, guys like Madrimov, uh, right. Ali Ahmedov, Sadrin Ahmedov are much better off going west and getting the training, getting the financial backing, getting from what you can pay for the passive opponents than staying at home and really struggling with some of the really small cards over there. That, yeah, that's okay. That's a good point because it is, I, I think you're right, where it is a market thing where, again, the fighters in Japan and South Korea, they have markets over there, built-in markets, where they, they have an established boxing presence, an established boxing scene. And even though Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan have great amateur scenes, there's really no professional boxing market there. But as you mentioned, the weight class you know, the, the fighters at 147 and above, they could come over here to the United States or the UK, wherever it is. And there's there's sparring, there's better sparring. And there are, the promoters want to work with them. The networks want to work with them. For some of these little guys, the market is probably better for them over in, in the Far East because the fans over there are, are more apt to watch a guy who weighs 108 pounds. And so, I, I, yeah, I, these are just good points because I think a lot of uh, fans here in the USA don't always think of all these things, even though they're pretty obvious. You know, you just don't think of it. But um, I wanted to ask you this, too. What's, uh, is there a fighter or a handful of fighters you can think of that are kind of flying under the radar right now for, for most Western boxing fans that are fighting over there in the East that you think fans over here should take a look at? Yeah, there's a huge list of fighters like this. Oh, okay, a Someone huge list. Yanni. Well, you know what? I would say af after the show, please tweet me a list, and I'll tweet it out. But if you could just name like two or three guys right now, and I'll, we'll, we'll spell the names on the show here for, uh, for everyone listening, because I want, I want to get some, some of the listeners of my show looking some of these guys up and watching their clips and stuff on YouTube. So is there a couple guys you could give me? I'd certainly suggest Carl Yamez Martin, a Filipino who's got a really, really exciting style. He's a little bit crude, but really young, really a thriller-minute fighter. What weight um, is he at? He's one of the lower weights. I don't know if it's bantamweight that he was at last time, but he's kind of a very young, growing kid. Okay. So he's going to probably scale up a few weights. Um, we've mentioned Junto Nakatani already. Uh, Ginjiro Shigioka is a fantastic one as well, but he's a minimum weight. I think sort of fans who follow the agency will probably be aware of him. Okay. He knocked out Ray Loretto at the end of last year. Really tired youngster. Um, and I'll give you a third one. Hinata Maruta, a featherweight from Japan. All right, you got to spell that so people can look that up. <laughs> What's the Spell the last name. It's M A. R-U-T-A, so it's like Murata, but with the U and the A swatched around. Okay. N-A-I... Sorry, M-A-R-U-T-A. M-A-R-U-T-S, okay. Okay. 
Yeah, I'll look some of these up and tweet some of these out. Yeah, man, I just wanted to uh, get some of the names out there for some of you guys uh, watching and listening to look some of these guys up because I tell you, like, I will catch some of these cards sometimes. People will send me links. You know, some of my followers on Twitter and stuff, they'll, say, they'll DM me a link to some of these fights. And, you know, some, sometimes it's a stream, an illegal stream, whatever, but I check it out. And I'm never disappointed. I'm never disappointed, Scott. These are always good fights, man. I just think more diehard, degenerate fight freaks like you and I need to check these guys out. Um, you are, before I let you go, because I promised I wouldn't keep you too long, but uh, if you could, just give everybody um, your, your Twitter handle and more information about your site and where they can find your stuff. Twitter handle is just at Asian Boxing. Nice, easy, pretty predictable. The website is AsianBoxing.info. I'm sure we have a Facebook, but I have no idea what that is. <laughs> um, but yeah, the website just has um, a huge library of videos, news. And you guys have a podcast, random. right? We do kind of sometimes when there's fights taking place. We haven't had one in a while. Okay. I think the last one was in February when I was drunk. <laughs> well, that would be worth checking out just because you're drunk. All right. Cool, man. Yeah, guys, his site has so much information. Just asianboxing.info. Check it out. And, uh, Scott, we appreciate you coming on, man. I know it's late for you over there. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. All right, have a good one, man. All right. Cool. Well, you guys have some names. Um, I will spell some of those out and pin it in a comment here on the YouTube and we'll tweet some of this stuff out. I'll also ask Scott to tweet out a longer list of names for you guys to check out. I definitely think it's worth checking out these little guys. They always bring the heat, man. If you're a diehard fight fan, you're going to love watching some of these fighters. And my man, Scott Graveson, he knows his stuff. Trust me. He could go on and on and on. Um, I feel kind of embarrassed because he knows so much more about the scene over there than I do, and I thought I was pretty knowledgeable. So I just got kind of schooled on some of these names that I didn't even know of. So <laughs> I feel a little chin-checked right now. So uh, that doesn't happen often. Anyway, uh, good stuff, Scott. Thank you so much for being on the show. If anyone else wants to call in, guys, numbers are open. You know the numbers. They're right behind me here. Uh, for those of you listening live on Spreaker, in the USA, it's 213 267 in the UK, 02081-036051, all right? Um, oh, an Asian boxing video channel just commented here on the chat. And uh, he just, okay, we got three spellings, the, the names here, okay? I'm just going to say these names again for you guys. Carl, James, Martin, and James is with two M's. Jinjiro, Shigioka, and Hinata Murata. Now, I'll, I'll tweet this stuff out. I'll pin it in a comment for you guys, all right? Okay, let's uh, okay. Let's get right back to the news real quick, and um, okay. So su super duper, super duper quick because we got to get to some review and preview action here. Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. That's the NFL Raiders' new stadium that they're building. I believe it's pretty much complete. Correct me if I'm wrong. Any of my Vegas guys out there? They're talking about December nineteenth for Fury Wilder three. I guess Top Rank has reserved that date. I like this move. Okay, I think it's the right arena. You knew the fight was going to go to Vegas. You knew that. And it's the last Saturday of the year that makes sense, right? You don't want to go around Christmas. You don't want to go around New Year's. In Japan, 
they always do cards around New Year's and they do very well. Here in the States, it's not going to work. So that is literally the last date of the year that you could reserve at the best possible venue you could reserve. So that gives you enough time to prep. That gives you enough time to keep doing all these market samplers that Top Rank's doing, and they're going to up the level of shows. We're going to get Vasily Lomachenko, Tifima Lopez, probably in September, right? So they're going to build it up, and they're going to have enough time to hopefully see if the COVID stuff dies down to where they can get at least a socially distanced, mask-wearing, temperature-taking crowd there at Allegiant Stadium, which I believe the capacity is 65,000. So let's say you filled that up. Let's say you socially distanced it, blocked off certain sections, and you got 12,000 in there, 15,000 in there, which I think is very, very doable if they price the tickets right. I think that's doable. I think that that's a good crowd. If you could do 15,000 there, it's not going to do the gate that the second fight did. It's just not. Okay, the second fight was at the casino. I think there was like 15,000, 16,000 for, for that fight. And it, being in the casino and being that there is such a demand for it, it made sense. It, it did a big gate. Given the situation with COVID and everything else, you're not going to be able to gouge fans the same way. You're going to have to discount ticket prices a little bit. But again, if you get that stadium one quarter filled, one fifth filled, you still do a very reasonable, respectable gate. You go on pay-per-view, you do good sales on pay-per-view, uh, you watch the privacy, which are a privacy, piracy, as they, they did a pretty good job of that, at least in the United States with the second fight. Now, globally, there was a ton of illegal streaming of that fight. But here in the USA, they did a decent job. I think they need to step up their efforts a little better with this third fight. They really need the pay-per-view sales. But man, if you could do a decent gate, if they could do three quarters of what they did, for that second fight, they're good. And it gets things going at Allegiant Stadium, which is obviously going to be the big venue where all the big events are held. I think it warms up Allegiant Stadium for that third fight between Canelo and Gennady Golovkin next May. It also warms it up for if Fury should win and Fury and Anthony Joshua do get their two fights, or at least one of them next year, you get that big heavyweight fight in the Legion Stadium, right? So just imagine if Anthony Joshua makes the flight to America. He's sitting there in the crowd to watch the third fight between Wilder and Fury. And maybe he gets in the ring after the fight, and they set it all up right there at the Legion Stadium. It's perfect brand building. It's perfect marketing. It's story building. It works. I just like this move by Top Rank and Bob Arum. As I've been telling you guys all year, they are going to have a big 2020, despite, despite the global pandemic, despite these uh, summer fights not doing huge ratings. Tell me right now, okay, if you had to vote, if you had to guess who the promoter of the year is going to be for 2020, if you're not saying top rank, you're a stunad, which means you're an idiot, okay? Let's go to the phone lines here. <laughs> 773. You're on the neutral corner. Go. Mikey, you know I got to talk about this other stuff. <laughs> All right, man. Well, did you get your autopsy results? What's up? <laughs> uh, no, because I didn't die yet, so I wait for him to, <laughs> to pass away, then I'll get the autopsy. <laughs> but um, you know what's crazy about this situation is it's just manifested to where 
now I look at comments on the internet, like they posted the uh, replay of the fight, and under the under the replay, all the comments were, "Oh, Tyson Fury cheated. Oh, Tyson Fury needs to be arrested for endangering him with the gloves. He put a dent in his head. It's just it, it's uh, manifested to where now even the public is repeating these talking points towards Scott. Before it was just a niche on YouTube, but now it's it's go full blown mainstream, and it seems like there's no media pushback for calling out these conspiracy theorists like ESPN, Fox Sports, all Yahoo, all these different platforms should be setting the record straight, calling out these nut jobs for being sore losers, but I rarely see that. I don't see anybody giving them pushback. They're allowed to just spread their conspiracy theories, and the only people pushing back are people like me and you on YouTube, but I feel like this needs to be mainstream pushback from all the major media uh, platforms, but I do appreciate people like you and other YouTubers. Well, you're not a YouTuber, you're a journalist, but still, you don't have this platform that someone like ESPN does. So what's your thoughts on that regarding um, the pushback that needs to be taking place? Well, you know, I would say, look, it's, it's not the majority of fans that believe this shit, okay? It is the minority. It's just that it's a very, very loud very, very vocal minority. And that's just the way things work on social media, man. It's just look at politics with, you know, the, the election and the, even COVID. The people that yell and scream the loudest, generally speaking, do not represent the majority of opinion. I think the majority of fight fans and media think it's all bullshit and laugh their ass off at it. But I talk about it. I will tell you, okay, so I work for Ring. And Ring is a respected platform in the boxing universe. But as you mentioned, it's not as big, of course, as ESPN because that's owned by Disney and that's a massive, massive brand that covers all sports. Ring is a niche thing because Ring is limited to boxing, right? But I could tell you that several people at Ring, including Doug Fisher, the editor, have bashed the shit out of those guys. Like Doug does mailbags every Monday and Friday and he's talked about it and had fun with it. We, we we joke about it. We basically laugh at these guys. Like, you see me trolling the hell out of them on Twitter and stuff and here on YouTube sometimes. But, like, what am I going to do? Because they're not media. If I talk too much about them, I'm almost giving them a platform and giving them a certain amount of, of respectability. And I just don't want to do that. Basically, these guys are fucking whack jobs. And the quote-unquote fans that follow their shit, they're whack jobs too, dog. They're just they're preaching to the converted. It's a religion. Deontay Wilder is their deity, and they are. this is some sort of cult religion. And when you're dealing with super, super religious people like this, like a cult religious, you're not going to reason with them. There's nothing you could say. There's going to be the third fight. It's going to be super loaded because of these people. After the third fight, they're going to, these YouTubers are going to make a bunch of money building up that third fight. And there's going to be all new conspiracy theories, this, that, the other Tyson Fury is probably going to win. And then they're going to have to find a new one. They're going to have to go back to Dis and Loma or whatever it is. They'll find a new one to talk about. There's always going to be a new one. Yep. That's what it seems like. And the, I'm just imagining if Tyson Fury and people on his side were making these claims, I feel like you would it would cause a lot more um I don't know mainstream pushback. media attention. 
right? Yeah, mainstream media attention. They would they would come down on him for being a clown. They would call him out for being a for what he is, a conspiracy theorist, sore loser. And it seems like it's not there's not as much regards to that in regards to Wilder. There's not as much pushback and I don't know what the deal is, maybe they're afraid of um, being labeled racist or something. I don't know what it is, but it's really bizarre because I know if Tyson Fury was coming out making these claims, people in his camp, people, his fans, they would be laughed out of the building. They would be, they would be clown number one. But yeah, you're right. It's just what can you do when they they got this YouTube platform? They just got no shame when people have no shame, and they're just willing to repeat these talking points. You can't reason with them because they're just, they have no shame. They have no dignity. They have no respect, no honor. So it's just, that's a sad reality yeah. of uh, boxing. There's a lot of tribalism, and that's, I think that's what it comes down to. But anyways, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. Yeah, I mean, what can you, what can you do? Like, I've spent a lot of time talking about those guys, probably more time than they deserved. And I don't want to give them any ounce of credibility. That's the word I should have used earlier. Uh, credibility. Like, they don't deserve it. A lot of these guys that are out there, and it's not just the boxing. I mean, there's people that do flat earth theory videos that have millions of views that teach, like, seminars and, and, and write books and teach this shit to children, right? And they manipulate photographs and videos to make it look like, oh, look, the earth is flat. And if you're talking to somebody who wants to believe that the government's lying to them and wants to believe that the, you know, earth isn't round and, you know, physics isn't a real thing, like they're going to buy into this. If you're searching for that material and somebody's feeding your bias, right, that's confirmation bias, you're going to jump to that and you're going to say, take my money here, super chat. So these guys doing that stuff now. Are some of them just whack jobs? Yeah, and actually believe it? Sure. Are some of them maybe prejudiced at best, racist at worst, and just bigoted people? You know, yeah, maybe. I actually think the majority of them aren't really that racist and aren't really that crazy. I think they're just really, really unethical, crooked pieces of shit that are making money, that found a niche, a way to make money off of people who are racist, off of people who are batshit crazy. And they're just making money off these people. They're manipulating people. It happens in all forms of media. Jesus Christ, go to Twitter and just look at what's trending in America. Like, I changed my Twitter settings to where, because it, it used to just show what was trending where I lived, you know, like wherever I was, my, wherever I, when I was in LA, now I'm in Atlanta. I changed it to show me what's trending in the United States. And every morning I get up and look at the top five trends. And I'm like, that is not the top five most important things on people's mind today. That is what the people running Twitter and their buddies in the media want people talking about. That's why it's trending. They're manipulating the algorithm. It's the same shit, guys. Like the LDBC, let's just stop talking about them. They're fucking whack jobs. YouTube isn't going to stop them. They'll go after a guy like me if I mention the word C-O-V-I-D. If I say that word, if I say that word out loud, they will tag this video and demonetize it. I can't even say that word because it's considered political. Just saying that, spelling the word C-O-V-I-D dash 19, saying that out loud will demonetize this video. But you could have a channel that is race baiting, conspiracy theory baiting, blah, 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 and you could make tons of money 
thousands of dollars these guys are making. That's YouTube, though, man. That's the people running YouTube. All right, uh, real quick, Super Chat. I saw a couple of you guys in the Super Chat. Oh, my man Trent with the Super Chat. What's up, Trent? He said, Campbell beat Irish Traveler John Joe Nevin for gold. Haney Campbell or not likely? I don't think we're getting Haney Campbell, but, well, first of all, thank you, Trent. But I would like to see that. I'd like to see Campbell against either Ryan Garcia or Devin Haney. I'd love to see either of those fights. Both would be major step-up fights for either guy. I actually think that, man, style-wise, I actually think maybe Haney might have more problems with Luke Campbell just style-wise. Because I think Ryan Garcia is so fast and explosive that he can catch Campbell with something and score that flash knockdown. I don't know if Haney could do that because Haney sets up his power the more uh, traditional way. And I think because Campbell's so experienced, he might see all that coming. Ryan might be able to hit him with something kind of crazy he doesn't see coming, but that's just my gut feel. Uh, anyway, uh, John Joe Nevin got his legs broke with bats by a rival traveler clan. Well, you know what? I ain't saying shit. I wonder what MTK Global thinks about that. <laughs> uh, thank you for the super chat, man. And uh, Pietro, my man Pietro, with the awesome T-shirts on the super chat pledge. Thank you so much, Pietro. I appreciate you, brother. Always doing a good job here in the chat with the wrench as well. I appreciate that, my man. Okay. Let's, uh, let me go back to some news. Wow, we still ain't through all the news, guys. It's, it's great that we have so much news to talk about. I mean, this is actually good. I feel like we're back. Okay, Sergey Derevyanchenko offered fights with Charlo and Canelo. Now, I tweeted about this today, too. I like Derevyanchenko-Charlo better. Here's why. I want to see Charlo fight somebody. I, he hasn't fought anybody yet. He just hasn't. And I get it. Korobov, good fighter. And we don't know. Derevyanchenko, the condition he's in right now, might be the level that Korobov was at when Charlo fought him because of the beating he took against Gennady Golovkin. And yes, I get it. He landed a lot of punches on Golovkin too. Trust me, guys. I know people very close to both sides of that situation. Derevyanchenko took a, a heavier beating in that fight. Trust me. on. I'm not saying that because I have a, a horse in that race. It's just the facts. Yes, Derevyanchenko put a lot of leather on Golovkin. However, uh, just trust me, Derevyanchenko took a lot more punishment. I don't know what he's going to look like coming back from that. I expect Golovkin to actually look better in his next fight than he looked against Derevyanchenko. But Sergey, I, I don't know, man. However, on paper, he's the best opponent Charlo will have faced. That's why I would rather see that. Derevyanchenko against Canelo, it's not the best opponent Canelo has faced. So while it's still a good fight, I'd rather see Derevyanchenko and Charlo fight instead. I hope that's what happens. And when you look at the political alliances with the PBC and everything, I think it's more likely you're going to get Derevyanchenko and Charlo. And I like that fight. It would do good numbers at Barclays in Brooklyn. And, and you know what? If they do it at the right date, that might be one I go up and cover live. I haven't covered a fight live in, in, uh, at Barclays yet. I haven't even been to Barclays. So I'd love to go up there for that one. It would absolutely be worth my time. Okay, so Billy Joe Saunders. This is our last news item. So apparently he turns down the fight with Canelo in September around Mexican Independence Day. Even though he had already agreed to the fight in May, he had all summer long to stay in shape. It's not like, yeah, I get it, guys. The gyms are not open. Maybe he can't spar. But I kept my ass in shape during 
quarantine and I'm not a professional athlete. I'm renovating a house. I'm planning on getting married this summer. I got a bunch of shit going on. I work two full-time jobs, including this one here in boxing, right? Uh, and I still kept my ass in shape. Not only that, I did the 75 hard program. I told you guys about that. That's basically a boot camp. It's ba- Think of that as a 75-day training camp. It's two workouts a day, okay? So it's not as heavy as a professional fighter's boxing training camp, but it's pretty close in regards to what a weekend warrior could do. It's pretty damn close to it. There's a lot of professional athletes who do that program, and I fucking did it during quarantine. So guess what? If I can do that, and I'm nobody, Billy Joe Saunders could have done that and stayed in shape over the summer. Him turning down this fight right now in September tells me he's a fat ass right now who did not keep his ass in shape. Let's see. What else? Oh, he talked about he's not getting paid enough because they cut his pay. Well, guess what? They're cutting Canelo's pay too. Now, DeZone has said, Canelo, your next fight, we got to cut your pay, homie. And he agrees. Now, is he going to get more than whoever he ends up fighting? Yes. Is he going to get significantly more? Yes. He's Canelo Alvarez. He's the biggest brand in the sport right now. I get it. Tyson Fury's nipping at his heels. Tyson Fury might be the number one guy. We'll find out when he fights Wilder the third time in Allegiant Stadium. Let's see if Fury by himself can carry that promotion. Because I can tell you right now, Wilder lost pretty much all the steam he had. So we'll find out. But proven name right now, Canelo Alvarez. And he's going to get more money. He's going to get a lot more money. But he's taking a pay cut too. You're still getting life-changing money. You're going to get the most money against Canelo than you're going to get facing anybody else. And all you got to do... Even if you lose, you just got to be competitive. You got to win a few rounds and stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. If you can do that, your brand goes up. Now, some other fighters like a Gennady Golovkin or a bigger name like that, or even like a a, a Murata over in Japan, who is a big name over there. Different, Different dynamic, okay? But Billy Joe Saunders isn't a big name. He's not going to make anywhere near the amount of money he could make, even with a pay cut against Canelo. If he goes in there against Canelo, Mexican Independence Day weekend, does well, goes the distance, loses a close fight in the cards, his brand more than doubles overnight, and his pay scale goes up for the rest of his career. That's all he's got to do. He ain't even got to beat Canelo. That's the the dynamics of fighting a guy like that. It's the same thing when you fought Floyd Mayweather last generation, Oscar De La Hoya a generation before that, Sugar Ray Leonard before that. You fight the top dog, you look good, you're competitive. Even in a competitive loss, your brand goes up. So Billy Joe Sanders is full of shit here. We're also, I don't know if you guys noticed this, you know, do you even math, bro? It's July. It's two months between now and Mexican Independence Day weekend, right? That's more than enough time to get in an eight-week camp. Even if you want to do a short six-week camp and do like a little pre-camp, little mini-camp, and then do your six-week boxing camp where you're sparring and all that good stuff. Plenty of time. In my opinion, this proves Billy Joe Sanders is full of shit and needs a fat camp to melt off 10 pounds and then get into his regular training. Also, uh, if you're fighting Canelo Alvarez here in the United States, you're going to be tested by NSAC. That's going to be VADA that handles that testing. I'm just going to put that out there. Maybe he just didn't want none of that. Okay, Uh, let's get to the review, guys. 
Real quick review, okay? Um, last week, I wrote seven articles for ringtv.com covering the Tuesday and Thursday shows. I also posted an article for the next issue of the magazine. It was a busy freaking week. Busy freaking week. Good week, though. Anyway, Tuesday, June 30th, Alex Saucedo improves to 30-1 and one with a UD10 uh, win over Sonny Fredrickson. This was a one-sided beatdown, a near shutout, and I don't know why Fredrickson's team kept him in there. Yay, I went the distance. Yay, I went the distance. Yay, this isn't Rocky. You know, you, you, don't, you don't score any extra points for going the distance. After about the seventh or eighth round, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have kept him in there, guys. Anyway, Saucedo did get hit a lot, still got hit a lot, but he got hit less. Continues to be a work in progress defensively. Fights at 140. This was, I think, at 44, but this was a one-off. Fights in a loaded division at 140. However, we're eventually going to get a full unification between Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. Now, after that, both of those guys are going to 47. They're both going to be future opponents for Terrence Crawford. Actually, I think in 2021, Crawford and Ramirez will definitely fight. That's already being discussed on, on the top-ranked uh, team. So you're going to get that next year. Taylor, it might take a little longer. But anyway, they'll be at 47. Those titles are going to get split up, which means at some point, top rank, who kind of owns the WBO, the WBO stands for We're Bob's Organization, right? Don't be surprised if Saucedo ends up fighting for a vacant WBO 140-pound title by the end of 2021 or sometime in 2022, and I think he'll have a very good chance to win. This guy could be a, a champion. This guy could have a title. It's probably going to be the WBO because he fights for top rank. So uh, Thursday, July 2nd, Jose Pedraza improved to 27-3. UD10 win over Mikel uh, Lepierre. Knockdowns in the fifth round and the tenth round. This was another completely one-sided shellacking. I don't know why Lepierre needed to be in there after the seventh or eighth round. Uh, he really got beat up, even worse than Fredrickson. Fredrickson just a lot more durable, just a better fighter than Lepierre. And uh, was able to withstand the punishment from Saucedo. But Pedraza really looked great in this fight. I mean, upstairs, downstairs, lefts, rights, straight shots, looping shots, hooks, uppercuts. I mean, he had everything going. But he had a walking punching bag in front of him. All that being said, uh, Pedraza, you know, maybe this was, you know what? I got to correct myself. Saucedo Fredrickson was 140. Pedraza Lepierre was 144. This was the catchweight bout. Um, a, a lot was made about the catchweight. It didn't really matter. Pedraza looked good. He's going to settle at 140. He has a chance at winning a title in that division when it gets blown up. Don't shoot the messenger, but, you know, a year or two, year, probably 12, 18 months from now, there might be a fight for the vacant WBO 140-pound title between Jose Pedraza and Alex Saucedo. Could happen. Also on that card, Robisi Ramirez improved to 4-1. and one. Bigger news, though, he scores a win over Aiden Gonzalez, and that was who beat him in his pro debut. So good stuff from him. Uh, looked much improved. Okay, preview. We got two cards this week from top rank. This Tuesday, July 7th on ESPN. Andy Vences against uh, Luis Alberto Lopez Vargas. Ten rounds, 130 pounds. Vences also does MMA. One pro loss to Albert Bell last June. Albert Bell fought. Uh, in the top-ranked shows last week. And then Jose Chon Zapeda going up against Kendo Castaneda out of San Antonio. Ten rounds, 140 pounds. This is the fight of that card. Forget the main event, and that's a decent fight. 
I like this one a lot. Zapeda Castaneda, good fight. Zapeda's two L's, don't make too much of them. Those two losses, freak injury versus Terry Flanagan in 2015, and then a close, somewhat disputed points loss to Jose Carlos Ramirez last year. A lot of people out there felt that he deserved that decision. And then Castaneda coming off his first career loss in February, but that was a close points loss. So uh, both of these guys, I think, are better than their records indicate. That's going to be a damn good fight. Do not miss that one. I'm telling you right now. Thursday, July 9th on ESPN, Carlos Takam coming in uh, to face Jerry Forrest. Forrest Gump, Jedi. So, uh, Carlos, it all comes full circle. Remember at the beginning of the show, I talked about Jedi. But uh, Carlos Takam going up against Jerry Forrest. I love that Carlos Takam jumped in here last second when Jarrell Big Doper Miller tested positive for drugs once again. By the way, shame on that fucking guy for doing an interview last week. And shame on the platform for even doing the damn interview. I guess... I shouldn't say I shouldn't say shame on them, but I just feel like Miller should just be ignored. Just d- stop talking to him. That just gave him a platform, and he doesn't deserve one. But anyway, there was a YouTube channel out there that did an interview last week, and he said that you know, oh, I didn't know what I was putting in my body, blah blah. Complete and utter bullshit. The, the guy not only is he addicted to doping, I really think he's a drug addict. But he's a, he's a, uh, what's the word? Habitual liar. He's a habitual liar. Fuck him. Just stop talking to him. It's one thing to talk about him and talk about the news and give your opinions. But don't bring him on your damn show, especially with his face and his image there. Don't give him that kind of platform. He doesn't deserve it, man. This guy deserves suspension. Anyway, Carlos Takam props to him, steps in last minute for this fight in an age where 95% of fighters, literally 95% of them, are turning down fights. I'm telling you right now, Top Rank has reached out to all the fighters that you've seen fighting. I guarantee you they have reached out to more than double that amount of fighters and been turned down. Not even always by the fighters, but also by their management saying, oh, our guy ain't ready. Why isn't your guy ready? He's a professional athlete. Oh, He needs to go and do his fat camp for three, four weeks and then do his six-week training camp, his four- or five-week training camp. That's why these guys want eight to ten weeks, the first month of its fat camp. If you're a true professional and you're keeping your ass in shape, you're ready to go. That phone rings, it could change your life. Guys, boxing is not a middle-class, upper-middle-class sport. This is a working-class sport. These guys that fight, they don't come from privileged backgrounds. So – Keep your ass ready, man. The phone rings that could change your fucking life. Anyway, Carlos Takam. I I like him in this main event. Uh, Look, I've always liked Carlos Takam. I've always been a fan of his because, yes, when he steps up, he loses. I get it. But he's a perennial French contender. This guy went pro in 2015. He's a 15-year pro. He's 40 years old. He has losses to Povetkin, Parker, Anthony Joshua, uh, Derek Chisora. But... Although he loses at that level, he does very well at the level under it, right? So, so just outside the top 10, guys in like the top 10 to 20 always does well. And against a guy like Forrest, I think he should look really, really good. So he's the kind of heavyweight that you need more of. We need more Carlos Takems, guys that are willing to answer the phone when it rings, but also always 
give a good account of themselves. I've just always been a fan of his. Anyway, also on this card, uh, super bantamweight fight, 122 pounds, 10 rounder between Carlos Castro of Phoenix, 25 and 0, going up against Cesar Juarez of Mexico. And then uh, American heavyweight Jared Anderson, 4 0, 4 knockouts out of Toledo, Ohio, 6 foot 4, 78 inch reach, big boy, only 20 years old, going up against Hector Perez of Puerto Rico. So that's what's happening this week, guys. Um, all right. No calls. No calls. So you know what? Let's go ahead and get that outro music going. Oh, I still love that beat. Still love that beat. All right, guys. Thank you so much to everybody in the chat. Super chat pledges. And uh, good guests today. I hope you guys enjoyed that stuff. Um, and I hope, you know, you check out some of these fighters that um, our guy Scott recommended. And uh, so over the next week or two, I'll let you guys know what's happening with the show. Big things coming. I promise you guys big things that we're doing. it. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, guys. And, uh, hey, we're halfway through 2020. The second half has to be better than the first half, right? I hope so. All right, I love you guys. I'll see you next week. I'll see you at the fights. <laughs>